0: Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to see you through that camera out there in your homes today as well, joining us live stream. So I just wanted to remind everybody, before we get into the message today, three years ago, this Sunday, we moved into this building. So this is Happy Anniversary Building Day, Okay? Yeah. First Sunday in April will be Happy Anniversary Church Day. But today, it's three years we've been in this building at this location. Joshua chapter 9 this morning, as we continue in the book of Joshua. And today, we're going to find out what we as the people of God need to be in order to keep moving forward with God. What kind of people do we need to be? And the Israelites are going to learn another costly lesson today in this chapter, because chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Joshua sort of go together. Chapter 9 we're going to see this morning is Israel without Jehovah. Next week we're going to see Jehovah is with Israel and the difference that that makes. Because God wants us to learn to partner with him in all that we do. And the Israelites forgot that in this chapter, and that's why they uh, were duped and were deceived. I want to first, though, begin with a couple of phrases out of Joshua chapter 9 that remind us of the kind of people that we need to be. And I want to say that everyone that we're going to encounter in this chapter, they are moving to what they are hearing, okay? Good or bad, they are moving to what they are hearing. In a sense, you and I do that in our lives. We respond, we move to what we hear. Which is why, as Christ followers, we need to be aware and be conscious and be careful of what we are hearing as far as what we're listening to and who we're following, what voice we're following. Because God understands that principle. You move to what you hear. Okay? And even though the enemies of the Israelites were going to move in a negative way, against the Israelites because of what they heard, that should not stop us as the people of God from proclaiming who our God is and what our God does. Because though there may be enemies that move against us, there are also those that God has out there that he can bring into his kingdom through hearing what we have to say. In fact, that's one of the things we've learned throughout the book of Joshua is as we move forward as a people, God wants us to bring more and more and more people along with us. And the only way to do that is to be a people of great proclamation. And that's what I want us to see beginning in chapter 9. Notice in the first phrase of the first verse, when the news reached all the kings on the west side of the Jordan in the hill country, the lowlands, and all along the Mediterranean coast as far as Lebanon, including the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, they formed an alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. They moved by the news that they heard. Okay? In fact, that word news is the Hebrew word shama. It means to hear, to listen to something with with very careful interest. These kings moved to form an alliance against Joshua and Israel because of what they heard. Then look at verse 3. When the residents of Gibeon heard what Joshua did to Jericho and Ai, Ai, They did something clever, and we're going to come back to that. So the Gibeonites moved to what they heard. Then look at verse 9. Later on in the course of conversation, the leaders of the Gibeonites are talking to Joshua, and they said they told him, your subjects have come from a very distant land because moved by the reputation of the Lord your God, for we have heard the news about all that he did in Egypt and even beyond that. We heard. They were moved because of the reputation of God that they had heard from others. By the way, that word reputation, you could also insert the word fame. They heard about the fame of Jehovah the fame of what God has done. These three different instances in this chapter remind us of how important it is that as a people who are moving forward with God, God wants us to be a people of great proclamation. He wants us to be a people, a church, individuals within this church that spread the fame of the Lord that tell others the story of God through our lives individually and through our life as a church because that's how God works. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, you heard the gospel. That's what the Bible tells us. How were you drawn to God in your life? By the things that you heard from others, Paul says to the Roman Christians, he says, how can they call on one in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody telling them? And then he goes on in the very same passage to say, because faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. See the people in this chapter even if it was moving against the Israelites they were moving because of what they heard and God in a positive way today is also still moving in people's lives positively because of what they hear and who do they need to hear it from us those of us who know the Lord those of us who have stories of what the Lord has done in our life and, and what he's doing in the life of our church. It's how we spread the fame of God. And all of us have a story. See, every last one of us has personal testimonies about what God has done and is doing in our lives. We all have a story to tell. God is writing a story in our church and through our church, in your life and through your life, and, and the devil wants to keep our mouths shut. Because the devil understands, if I get Christians to shut their mouths and stop spreading the fame about God, then people will not even move positively to what they hear, because they won't be hearing anything, and they won't be moved. That's why the Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives to, to go out and spread the fame of our God of how he's moving, how he's working, the miracles that he's doing, the things that only God could do. That is our responsibility before God. That's why Paul said again in the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There is power in your story there is power that God will infuse when you and I, by faith, are willing to share what God is doing, the fame of God, the stories of God. And we all have that story. And and as we move along with God as a people, obviously he continues to write that story and do more and more things, just as he did with the Israelites the things that these even enemies of Israel were hearing, they crossed a flooded river on dry ground. Their God did that for them. They conquered a city just by walking around it, and their God brought the walls of Jericho down. You see, as they kept moving and following the Lord, the Lord kept writing more and more through them so that they could share it with others. That is our responsibility, to be witnesses, if you will, to be testifying about our God. What did Jesus say to his followers before he ascended back to heaven? And it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1. He said, all of you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and after that, you will be my what? Witnesses. Notice that the power through the Holy Spirit, though, has to come first. It is the power of the Holy Spirit living within us that is the fuel of our witness. Maybe part of why the church in general is not witnessing as effectively and as enthusiastically as we should be is because we've lost spiritual power because we're not plugged in to the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives, allowing him to fill us and control us because Jesus directly correlates or connects the effectiveness and the energy behind our witness for him as his people to the power of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is, when you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to take over your life, you won't help but be able to be witnesses for me. You will be compelled. That's exactly what Paul said. He said, I can't keep my mouth shut because the Holy Spirit, I'm allowing Him to empower me, and I'm constantly out there sharing the fame of my God. I'm telling others what God is doing so that God can use my stories that I'm telling, my witness, my testimony, to be able to bring more and more people towards him. That's the kind of people that we need to be. Again, not only individually, but as a church. I had a meeting with all of our leaders last Sunday night here at the church, and one of the things that we talked about was we're 12 years in now. And we need to start capturing the stories of what God has done through the Oasis Church so that we don't lose those stories, so that we don't forget them, and so that we can be conscious to pass them on not only to new people who are coming, but to those subsequent generations who are going to come after us. If we don't capture it now, it might be lost forever. And there's so many wonderful stories of what God has done through our church so that God gets the glory for it. Because it's his fame we're spreading. It's not ours. It's not, hey, look at us. It's, hey, look at our God. Look at what our God has done. Yes, taken us, mere mortals, frail, fragile, feeble people that we are, and look at what God can do. We all need to do that. We need to be a people of great proclamation in spreading the fame of our God. Let me ask you a thought-provoking question. How in your life right now are you spreading the fame of your God? How are you letting other people know your story of what God is doing and how he's doing it? And here's the thing. God doesn't hold us responsible for their response they might not ever respond properly. That's that's not on us. God never holds us responsible. That's why you could go out and witness to 100 people and not have one positive response. God's still going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you just did what you were responsible for. Just tell the story. Tell your story. But there might be one out there that hears your story here's your testimony, here's what you're saying about the fame of your God, and God can use that to begin to plant seeds of faith in their life and draw them to God. So a people of great proclamation. We also, though, need to be a people of great perception. If you go back to the first couple of verses, you'll notice that all of these enemies of actually one another form an alliance to, to sort of have a frontal attack against Israel. This is sort of a reminder because these people were always fighting amongst each other that the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. That's sort of the illustration of chapter 9, verse 1. These, they were all fighting with each other all the time, but then they formed a unified front against Israel and planned a frontal attack. Well, the Gibeonites took a different approach. Notice verse three. When the residents of Gibeon heard what Joshua did to Jericho and Ai, they did something clever. I want you to key in on that word, clever. It is the word that also describes the deceit of Eve by the serpent back in Genesis chapter three, verse one. The serpent was more shrewd, more clever. Uh, more wily, a trickster than all the other animals in God's kingdom, and that's the animal that Satan inhabited to deceive Eve. What Jericho could not do with its walls and Ai with its weapons, the Gibeonites did with deceit. You and I need to be careful as God's people always, that as we move forward with God, that we are not deceived and duped because it is one of Satan's great strategies. And let me say this. I have even met Christians over the years who said, ah, I, I'm never deceived and I could never be deceived, and I just sit there and go, oh, you're, you're deceived already. Because the Bible says, you know, you, you think you're standing, take heed lest you fall. If you think you're above being deceived, we all are susceptible to being deceived. We all are vulnerable to being deceived. Therefore, we have to be a people of great spiritual insight and perception, and that only comes by living in constant partnership with God. Notice what the Gibeonites did. They collected some of the provisions and put worn-out sacks on their donkeys, along with worn-out wineskins that were ripped and patched. They had worn-out patched sandals on their feet, and they dressed in worn-out clothes. Their bread was dry and hard. Notice the lengths that the Gibeonites went to to pull off this ruse. They were not very far from the Israelites. Why is this important and what's going on here? Because God warned his people through Moses, even before Joshua. He said, when you finally go into the promised land, be careful not to make a covenant or a treaty with the inhabitants of the land because it will be a continual snare for you. God warned them. He said, be careful. Of who you enter into an alliance with, because if you're not careful, you're gonna enter into an alliance with someone and it's gonna be a constant snare. So they had that warning from God. And here come the Gibeonites who only live a little ways up the street, if you will. But they wanna appear as if they've come from a very, very far distance so that they can make a treaty and seek favor with Joshua so that they won't be exterminated, which was what many of the ancient peoples did. Many, if you read history, that was their mode of operandi. They they would go to a, a larger, greater country that was conquering everybody around them and said, hey, we'll be your servants. We'd rather do that than be exterminated. Get that, right? That's sort of the... But notice the ruse. Notice the deception that's going on here. And and we learn several lessons then from this. First of all, appearances can be deceiving. Therefore, appearances should never be the sole basis for the decisions that you and I make as the people of God. We should never base our decisions, our choices, on appearances alone. That will always get us into trouble. It's why God says, my people need to learn to walk by faith, not just by sight. I've used this illustration before. People's lives and and really everything in this world are like icebergs. You, You see the little bit above the water, but there's so much below the water that you don't see that only God knows. And that's why we need God's insight and God's wisdom in order to navigate this world in an effective way. Paul says to the Ephesians, clothe yourselves in the armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes. Jesus said, Satan is a liar. In fact, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. (laughs) That's, That's how he works. That's his M.O. And then the Bible goes on to say, Satan is not only a liar, he's a master of disguise because he can come at us as an angel of light. And then it goes on to say his ministers, those who are working for him, can come at us as angels of light. If we just take appearances and we base our decisions and choices and what we enter into on just that, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be deceived. We're going to be duped. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible also says to us living now that as we continue to move further and further into history and closer to the return of Christ, that deception and deceivers continue to increase. We are living more now in an age of deception and deceit than we ever have before. It's one of the great challenges of being a Christian today, which means then that our spiritual antennas ought to be up even more. I mean, God has warned us. He says, in your day, there will be an increase of false teachers and false prophets. Be careful of who you're listening to and who you're following. And yet, can I say, sometimes I even hear about some folks in our church and some of the prophets or teachers, that, and I'm going, whoa, wow. I can't believe that. I can't believe it. You know, you would think, oh, you know, they, they know better. Deceit. The seat. Deceit. The seat. That's why we need to be people of great perception. Notice in verse 8, they said to Joshua, hey, Joshua, we're willing to be your subjects. So Joshua said to them, who are you and where did you come from? Notice the Gibeonites don't even address the doubt that they may be living near the Israelites because back up in verse 7, the men of Israel said to them, well, perhaps you live near us, so why should we make a treaty with you? Again, because that's what God said. Be careful of those that you ask a direct question to and they don't answer it. That's a red flag right there. It's a very simple question. Do you live near us? Oh, we're not going to answer that question. We're just going to be your subject. In a sense, they're taking the submissive approach. Again, they're very clever, right? All they wanted to do was secure favor and make this covenant because they knew if they enter into this covenant with Joshua, he's got to abide by it because that's the way God's people are. We got to stick to what we've committed to no matter what the consequences because we need to be people of our word. And they knew that, so they knew if they could just get Joshua to sign the dotted line, they were spared, right? They were spared. And then look down at verse 11. We are willing to be your subjects. Make a treaty with us. They're they're pressing And I wrote here in my Bible, these notes even to myself, we must be careful about making rash or quick decisions. And we must push back when pressured to make a decision quickly. That never goes well for us. Because we need time to seek the Lord. We need time to make sure that we have thought through this carefully and thought through all the positives and negatives and all of those things and that we've taken this matter to the Lord so what we learned so far is that we need to be a people of great proclamation because that's how God brings people to him and it is our responsibility to spread the fame of our God and tell our story because God works through the stories of our church our churches and our individual lives. What are we doing to spread the fame of God? But then we also learn in this passage, we are living in a day and age of great deceit and growing deceivers. And as God's people, we always need to be living with great discernment and perception and insight. If not, we are going to be deceived and we are going to be duped. We're going to end up making decisions that we should not make, unwise decisions. We're either going to enter into something that we shouldn't have, or we're going to not enter into something that we should have. And either way, it's not going to go well for us. We're going to suffer some kind of consequences because we made an unwise decision that was not done in partnership with God. And then we learn really, why this all happened, which calls us to be a people of great prayer, along with people of great proclamation and perception, when you go with me to verse 13, and we'll pick up the story there. These wineskins, they tell Joshua, were brand new, but look at how they've ripped. And our clothes and sandals have worn out because it has been a very long journey. Can I just say at this point, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) they're just continuing to just lie, 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 right? Just let's keep to the story. We're from really far away and all this. And then notice what the men of Israel do, the leaders. They examine some of their provisions. I mean, they did their due diligence to like look through all of their equipment and all of their, pa- and not that there's anything wrong with that, But that's what I call stopping at the scientific approach. The scientific approach alone will not help us. We need to do our due diligence and examine things and give careful attention to what's before us, but we also always need to add the spiritual approach, which is praying to God and asking for his advice. And you'll notice the next eight words In verse 14 are the key words of the entire chapter, words that I hope that we will allow to sort of ring in our ears and and grip our hearts and minds from now till the day we meet Jesus because they made a fatal mistake as the people of God in this chapter, and it's why they were deceived and what mistake did they make. They failed to ask the Lord's advice. That was it. They just didn't pray. The Lord's wisdom was available, but it was ignored. It wasn't like they couldn't have known that they were being deceived, and that God wouldn't have given them insight into the reality of what was going on. They simply didn't ask. Again, we see here this great example throughout the book of Joshua, where when they're partnering with God, And following him victory when they somehow feel like we've got this God and we're on our own and we can do this independent of you failure and defeat and that's one of the great lessons that you and I should take away from the book of Joshua To apply to our lives. When we're in partnership with God and we're following him, we'll live in victory. When we're trying to do things our way and and independently from God, we will fail and suffer defeat every time. They failed to ask the Lord's advice. Literally in the Hebrew, they failed to hear what the mouth of the Lord would say. Because God would have given them the insight that they needed so that they weren't duped and deceived, but they didn't ask. It reminds me of what James says in his book to us as God's people. He says, if any of you are deficient in wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously and without reprimanding you. It will be given to you. All we have to do is be humble enough and recognize our need and reliance and dependence upon God enough to say, God, I think I've done my due diligence here in checking all this out, but before I make my final decision, I'm coming to you because I want to hear what do you have to say about this. What's your counsel? What's your advice? That's how the people of God are to be guided as we move along with God in our lives, individually and corporately. Otherwise, we're going to end up in really bad circumstances, and suffer consequences that were needless simply because we didn't go to the mouth of God to hear what God had to say. In that very same passage in James, James then writes these words, you have not because you what? Ask not. All we have to do is ask. See, what was going on here with the Israelites was this. Pride, because now instead of being humble, they were being lifted up in pride. Pride leads to prayerlessness. And a lack of prayer dims our discernment as the people of God. Let me repeat that. Pride will always lead to prayerlessness. The more humble I stay as a follower of God, the more I will call upon the name of the Lord my God, and I will pray. I will seek his wisdom, his counsel, his advice continually about everything. There won't be anything that I won't at least get in touch with God about, you see. But if I go prayerless, my discernment will be dimmed severely. And I won't be as discerning, as perceptive, as insightful about the decisions and choices and things that I'm doing and what, if I don't go to God in prayer. They failed to ask the Lord's advice. And then notice what happens, verse 15 Joshua made a peace treaty with them and agreed to let them live. And the leaders of the community sealed it with an oath. The rest of the chapter talks about how they were incorporated into the people of God and all of that. But like God said, these people will be a snare to you now for the rest of your existence because you failed to ask my advice. Jesus said to his followers, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, He says to us, ask, and it shall be what? Given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Jesus is declaring to his own people, if you don't ask, you won't receive. If you don't seek, you won't find. If you don't knock, you won't have the doors opened. That's not a carte blanche verse, as many take it, that whatever I ask God for, He'll give me. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's actually conditional. He's saying, You realize that I'm there, I'm available. I can give you all kinds of wisdom and insight and counsel and advice. I'm willing to do it, but I won't force it on you. So if you want it, you've got to ask. If you want it, you've got to seek it. If you want that door open in your life, you've got to knock. I've got to see that you're willing to put forth your faith into action and ask Seek and knock. And by the way, those three verbs are in continuous mode. As Christians, we should be continually asking the Lord, continually seeking him, and continually knocking upon the door of heaven. The Israelites failed to do that, and they suffered grave consequences. It was a costly lesson that God is saying to us today, this is part of the reason why the Old Testament is just as vital and as important to us as Christians today than our New Testament, because God said every story out of the Old Testament, you can find great application for it in your Christian life today. And that is certainly true with Joshua chapter 9. In this great chapter, we learn that as we move forward with God in our lives as a church and as individuals, God wants to see a people of great proclamation, a people of great perception, and a people of great prayer. Prayer. So many Christians today are living prayerless lives, and their lives show it because they're doing things and not doing things and all these things, trying to figure life out and navigating it on their own. What does the proverb say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean unto your own understanding. The Israelites were leaning unto their own understanding and they made a grave mistake. We don't need to lean on our own understanding. We have the Lord of the universe who says, you lack wisdom and for anything, come to me. I'll give it to you. Generously, he says and I'll never turn you down. I love it when my people come to me and ask me my advice, my counsel. Come so that you have the wisdom, insight, and perception that you need to navigate life successfully. Well, I want you all to be seated. I'm going to ask our worship team to come at this point and get in place because I want us to take our last time of worship here before we wrap things up this morning, to do two primary things. One is, I want us to use this time of worship as a time of proclamation. We're going to be singing, Lord, I need you, right? And so I want us as the people of God to certainly proclaim and declare out without shame, God, we need you. We need to rely on you and depend upon you. We need to stop trying to live independently. That's part of it. But because of the message today, I also want our time of worship to be a time of petition, a time where God's people are not just saying, Lord, I need you, but Lord, I'm coming to you. And I'm coming to you right now, asking you for something, seeking you for something, knocking on your door, for something, because there's something, God, that you're doing as I'm hearing your word, as I'm hearing the songs of worship that I've already sung. I'm being moved. And I want to come to that place today where I say, God, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. There's something in my life that you've moved me to do that for. And if that describes you this morning, before we all stand, and join in on this song. I'm just going to ask you right where you're seated right now, would you just stand, please, if you're asking, seeking, or knocking for something right now from the Lord, would you stand? Because here's what I want you to do if you're standing and you're saying, God, I'm coming to you, asking, seeking, and knocking for something, that as you sing this song, Remember to carry not only the proclamation of your dependence on the Lord with you today, but allow what you have heard here today to be fuel in your life, to continue even after this day is over, to continue to ask, seek, and knock. God wants you to come. What are you asking God for today? What are you seeking Him for today? What are you knocking on His door for today? So now would you all stand and let's join in singing, Lord, I need you. And as we sing, you pray, you petition, you ask, you seek, you knock right during the song today as we end our service today.